Hey, what's up, y'all? Jonathan Hilliard, host of Atlanta Born and Brand, here. And uh, we're going to start this show off a little differently today. First of all, thank you so much for listening uh, to the first 19 episodes of Atlanta Born and Brand. For those of you that have, and I know there are, there are a couple of you, um, all six of you. I appreciate, you know, the, the support. Thank you so much. If you haven't listened to all 19 episodes at this point, then, uh, you know, you can do that. This is a podcast, so uh, feel free to go back in the archives and uh, and catch up. There's some fantastic uh, brand stories that have been told in the first um, almost six months that we've been doing this now, which is kind of crazy, or five months, I guess. But with all that being said, um, with this is episode 20 of the show, and I thought it would be pertinent to uh, throw in a little uh, best of today for this episode. Uh, We got a lot of really cool uh, new shows coming up for you in the next few weeks. Um, For those of you with Sweet Tooth, we got a great local ice cream brand coming on the show very, very soon. A new apparel brand uh, out of Marietta coming up on the show very soon. We have... Uh, pretty much the most uh, hardcore chiropractor that I've uh, ever met in my life. She's coming up on the show here in the next couple weeks. Um, got some great restaurateurs coming up, so lots to be excited about. But for episode 20, uh, just to celebrate this occasion, uh, hey, we made it in 20 episodes, by the way. That's a big deal to us. I don't know if it is to you or not, but uh, it's exciting for us. Uh, To celebrate episode 20, we're going to go back to the very beginning. And uh, just so happens our first episode, I think, is still still one of our bests with Michael Tavani, uh, co-founder of Scout Mob and uh, Switch Yards. And I don't know if you guys have been following Switch Yards since we ran their episode on episode one, but uh, there's a lot going on. Uh, with Tavani and Switchyards. Uh, they just opened Switchyards 2, which is a pop-up location uh, on the West End that is really focusing on events. Uh, and they announced recently that they will be branching out Switchyards Downtown Club into uh, Switchyards clubs all over the city. Uh, Tavani has put it uh, in a way that I thought was really interesting that in uh, in the digital age we live in, uh, the personal interaction that people have in a physical location um, is impactful. And that's one thing he's learned from Switchyards. And um, you can check out his, uh, his blog post about it on Medium to read more about where Switchyards is going from here. But lots of exciting stuff happening for Switchyards Downtown Club and uh, the future of Switchyards as it expands across Atlanta. Thank you guys again. Uh, the podcast is, has reached, um, uh, we're closing in on 4,000 listens. So that's a big deal uh, for us. And uh, to be transparent with you guys, um, really did not know what to expect numbers-wise for this thing. But the fact that some of you are listening to it and enjoying it, And I think what we're most excited about is just hearing the stories from some of you who have listened to these episodes and have gone and met these people in person. Because I think that's what's really powerful about this show, or what can be powerful, is that this is not a national show where you hear the story of somebody that you'll likely never meet who's uh, 
who's unattainable for you, who is a celebrity to the, to the point of, uh, you really won't get that, the chance to, to go support that person's business or, or really interact with them in a meaningful way. I think everybody we've had on the show thus far is pretty much the opposite of that. And Michael's no different. So yeah, all that being said, let's get you uh, to the episode. So this is episode 20, which is a best of Atlanta born and brand, our first version of this. And we are talking with Michael Tavani from Switchyards. My parents uh, moved down to Atlanta uh, from kind of New York, New Jersey area about a month before I was born. Uh, so actually, my parents still live in the same house I grew up in in Dunwoody. Um, and so, yeah, I grew grew up in Atlanta, and that's like a rarity, you know. Uh, I think one of the things that makes Atlanta great is that uh, most people are from somewhere else, and so it's this kind of melting pot. I think the next generation, call it our kids, will will that that will change. I think I think um, people are realizing Atlanta is a good place to be, and so I think a lot of people will be from Atlanta 30 years from now. But right now, everyone's from kind of somewhere else. Uh, but yeah, grew up in Atlanta and pretty much have lived here. Other than college and uh, in law school, I've lived in Atlanta my whole life. But what's interesting is wh- where I grew up, Dunwoody, it's literally right at the top end of 285. And and I just remember, like, I, I grew up playing soccer in Atlanta, so we'd play all around, you know, pretty much the city. The games were all around. And, you know, uh, I had friends that, that grew up in playing soccer in kind of Cobb and in, like, North Fulton. And those areas were, like, just getting established. And, you know, those high schools were just getting built. And from probably the 40s, 50s till call it like 2000, people were moving away from the center of the city. And Atlanta has no physical boundaries, no mountains, no water. So people were just moving further and further and further away. And it caused Atlanta to be so spread out. And then, you know, maybe the Olympics was like the beginning um, or maybe like early 2000s of people realizing, you know, I've been in my car for like an hour, you know, getting to work or whatever. Um, and so you have these kind of historic neighborhoods in town. Obviously, the Beltline helped a lot of that. Um, and so to see what's going on in town Atlanta right now is is um, is pretty cool. And I think I'm skipping ahead a little bit, but I think that's causing a lot of the pride in Atlanta United. It's kind of this new team that, that happens to be downtown where there's this like newfound pride in the city. And so they've captured a lot of that. I talked with Michael about the state of the city today. We talked about the great things going on in some of those in-town neighborhoods. But he also pointed out the city's revival and culture shift isn't just happening inside the perimeter. I do think that um, the suburban experiment of of like not mixing dense, not mixing uses well, like Virginia Highland, an old neighborhood in, in Atlanta. There's a commercial uh, section like right at Virginia and Highland, which is what now makes that neighborhood. At the time, it was probably a you know a, a place where you could buy you know food, a place where you know like a post office and a, you know maybe a bank or something like that. That's what was at that center, and so people were walking to their like local kind of you know mixed use center. Now, you know, the way they build neighborhoods is, or, or maybe not now, but the way they did build neighborhoods for a long period of time was tons of tons of houses, no mixed use at all. And so you kind of have to drive places. So I think that, and I read a lot of urban stuff. I, I follow a lot of like Ryan Gravel stuff. And so I do think that 
even the, the suburbs is adopting a lot of the best stuff that's happened in cities. I mean, if you look at something like a, an Avalon that was built in the suburbs, but it was built very much to resemble a, a neighborhood and a city the way it used to be, you know, a long time ago. So, um, or the down, I, even like the old, the old, the old school downtowns, downtowns yep. in, in uh, you know, like Woodstock yep. and Lawrenceville and Ackworth and, and places like that are doing exactly what you said turning the focus back to the, the, the middle of town yep. where you can do everything. I mean, Roswell is a good example. Roswell, um, it's like one of the hottest, you know, probably OTP neighborhoods as a result of this old downtown that existed probably pre, you know, car almost, right? These tight buildings, you know, tight roads with buildings right on the zero lot line. And people actually love that. After going to high school in Dunwoody, Michael left for college at the University of Georgia. But Startup Founder wasn't a major, and Michael struggled to find his path after four years of searching. I say this, uh, I've said this line a lot, like when I'm speaking or whatever, it's kind of a, my opening line is that I was in the entrepreneurial closet for the first 27 years of my life. So I, when I look back at my youth and when I look now at myself, um, I was definitely born an entrepreneur. I, I have two brothers uh, that could be, you know, couldn't be further away from being kind of entrepreneurial. One's a teacher, one's like a sales guy. And so they kind of think I'm crazy as, as an entrepreneur. And I, I honestly think I was just kind of born this way. Um, I didn't discover it until I was 27. Um, and so I had a few jobs that I thought I was going to like and I didn't like them. And, and it, really what it came down to is I just needed to be creating my own things. And so, but when I look back at my youth, no one was, it, this wasn't a career path, you know. Like I remember visiting a college and they had an entrepreneurship program and I'm like, that sounds pretty interesting. And I barely knew what the word meant, um, but I thought it sounded pretty interesting. And again, it's not a career path. It's not something that my parents were saying, hey, go create your own job. You know, the advice, in fact, that I was getting was um, was, you know, maybe go work at a, you're not liking the jobs you have. Maybe go work at a big company and and maybe you'll find your way in, a, in kind of a bigger company, which probably was what couldn't have been more opposite of, of my personality. But basically, um, I had a few jobs. I didn't like them. I ended up going to law school, not because I wanted to be an attorney, because it was kind of an opportunity to, to give me three more years to figure out what I wanted to do. And I figured maybe I'd use the degree. I ended up not using it, but it was a good experience. I, I, I don't regret it at all, because during that period of time, I figured out I want to start companies. That's what I want to do. And this was right around the time when kind of the maybe Web 2.0 was, was coming out. So this was like 2004, 5, YouTube, and these this next generation of not dot-com bubble, dot-com companies that weren't worth anything, like real companies were being created during that period of time. And so during that period, I said, I, I want to start a company. So I graduated law school, moved back to Atlanta, and um, and everyone was asking, where what law firm are you going to work for? And that was this was probably the hardest thing in my life to date was telling people after, you know, spending a lot of money on law school that I'm actually not going to, I'm not going down the path that everyone thinks you're going to go down. Turning down the quick buck. Yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to do something that I just, in my heart, I want to do, but it's a weird path and there's no, I might not make money in my entire life doing this, but I have to, I have to do this. So I lived at the time in Buckhead and in an apartment and I started a company out of my apartment. Um, and it was called Peachtree 360, and it was kind of a, I won't even spend more than 10 seconds on this company, but it was what to do in Atlanta on a website. And, uh, but the way I would characterize that first thing was, you know, entrepreneurs are, there's this great line that it's kind of like you're jumping out of an airplane, and you don't know how to use the parachute, and you have to figure it out on the way down. 
And I think that was that was me jumping out of the airplane. So that was my first experience that the, the company wasn't it wasn't a good idea. The startup wasn't a good idea, but it was me just getting my feet wet and figuring out what I was doing. Before we go on with today's episode, I want to take a minute to address the small business owners listening to the show. Here at Atlanta Born & Brand, we hope to bring great value to you over the course of our first season. And now, we're looking for a couple partners to help us do that. If you're interested in advertising your business or brand on this show, let us know. We're looking to build a team of great companies and ultimately create a network that props up all great Atlanta-run businesses. If you'd like more information, send us an email at info at atlborn.com. That's info at atlborn.com. So here was Michael in his late 20s, and he has finally found a career path he's passionate about. But he was still largely on his own in his new journey. Until one cup of coffee changed the direction of his career, and maybe the future of startups in Atlanta. Uh, I would say six or seven months into that company, I got an email from another guy, uh, and we had coffee, and he was doing another startup, kind of in the similar space. And we ended up saying, hey, let's meet again. This was a good conversation. We were both kind of doing it on our own. And after a couple of meetings, we said maybe we should start working together. And so that guy is Dave, who now, uh, Dave Payne, who him and I have been together. We're like an old married couple. We've been together for 10 years as co-founders. So we've done three companies together. So the first company we started was called Skyblocks, which was a Wi-Fi company, which we did for about a year and a half. It wasn't good enough. Uh, we were only had a couple of months left. Um, and we, we said, you know, we're running out of money. Um, let's give it one more kind of go. And during that three-month period of time, we came up with the idea for Scout Mob. And we convinced a friend of a friend to put in a little bit of money. And we launched Scout Mob January of 2010, and it just took off like a rocket ship. So, and we knew what took an off looked like because the thing before that, Skyblocks, um, hadn't taken off. Yeah, and tell, tell people that uh, I guess aren't familiar just kind of the basic premise of Scout Mob and what the goal was there. Yeah, so Scout Mob, uh, you have to remember back to that period of time where like, you know, most people didn't have a smartphone. Most people didn't have a fancy iPhone. This is like, you know, late 2009, early 2010. The average person has like a flip phone. Few people have, have an iPhone. And um, we basically, there was a, a company in the space called Groupon, which most people know. Uh, they ended up be going public. Um, and so they were kind of the Walmart, if you will, of the space. We had seen them really early because we were doing Wi-Fi in Chicago, which is where they started. So, so we, we had three markets, uh, Atlanta, Chicago, and Denver. So we had a salesperson who worked for our old company in Chicago who was really tapped into what was going on locally. And she had heard about that company. Uh, we were seeing some other things in New York and whatever. And so we basically combined like three things into a company which became Scout Mob, three kind of ideas. And really the premise was um, we loved like local content, which this company Thrillist and Daily Candy was doing. So Daily Candy was a huge success story, um, you know, kind of early 2010s, late, you know, like maybe 2008, 9, 10. Um, and so we loved how they were doing content over email, which was such a simple medium. So we, we kind of took the Thrillist Daily Candy content model. Then there was a company in New York called 8Coupons, which was sending out a coupon code via text message. Um, and they never got big, uh, but we thought it was super interesting. And so we kind of took that from them. And then Groupon launched doing this group buying thing. So we com combined all those things together and basically created Scout Mob. And so we were basically a mobile app that had, a, you know, before Groupon had a mobile app, and uh, a very early mobile app 
that had basically deals at restaurants for 50% off around town. So you didn't have to pay for them. That was our like differentiator. So you would literally open up your phone and you could see uh, this place is a mile away, this place is half mile away, this place is six miles away. Depending upon what type of food you want, you go to the place, you open up your phone, you show the phone, you know, this, this screen that popped up when you were at that business. So it was kind of a novel use of GPS and you'd get a discount and people loved it. And so we ended up um, just kind of the quick story. We, we, we raised uh, maybe about eight or nine million dollars, uh, seven or eight million dollars. And we grew to about two, three million users. Uh, and we ended up launching 13 different cities. And so we had a really good run in Atlanta. Uh, and we had this brand that people like loved. Um, you know, we had like this mustache icon and logo, and we <laughs> well, had this funny voice. Well, that's like, what I was going to ask you. You know, before you even get into that, was wh- what was the differentiator that you know everybody talks about the funding? I know you raised X amount of money, but was the brand that you guys were able to build there was that the differentiator that you think really allowed it to pop? So I think it's two things. I think brand brand is an amplifier, a multiplier. And so brand on top of a product that's, let's say the product is a zero, you can't amplify or, or multiply anything times zero. Um, so I've seen you know, companies where the product's not good enough and the brand's really good and it's not good enough. And so I think what we did well um, at uh, Scout Mob was we had a particularly strong product. In fact, the CEO of Groupon years later said we were like scared of Scout Mob. And they had literally raised, you know, a billion dollars and went public. And they were like, your guys' product was amazing. And so we had this really strong product that was amplified by a brand. And that causes a, a company that raises venture money. That's how good you have to be to raise venture money. Because, and, and by the way, it was hard for us to raise venture money. I mean, it was, it, it was still a struggle. It's, nothing came easy. Um, but I think you have to have an amazing product. And then if, if your brand's amazing on top of that, then that's an amplifier. Uber is a good example of a company that their product was so good when it came out. Their brand was not good. Their brand was particularly bad, I thought. Um, they, they sent out an early email, and I remember kind of laughing, like, ah, oh, this company's never going to go anywhere. And they had, like, an email with, like, stretched images. It looked like, you know, a little kid did their graphic design in their email. But when your product is so good, it can overcome brand. I don't think a, an amazing brand, unless you're in a commodity space, like you're a shoe company, like Allbirds, um, I, I don't think brand can overcome product. But I think if your product's decent and then your brand's particularly good, that's enough. Yeah. But it's some combination of those sure. two things. Had you, at that point, you know, you talked about until you're 27, 28, not really figuring out what you wanted to do. But then having gone through the, the Wi-Fi company with Dave, was was there a lot of pressure on you guys early in Scout Mob days? Were you feeling that uh, that pressure of, man, we did the one thing, now we've done this thing. If this doesn't work out, maybe I have to go back to the corporate route. Yeah, I mean, we went to lunch in Emmon Park and we're literally walking around the neighborhood. And we specifically said, we got three more months and, other, and we're gonna have to go back and get a job. Like it's, we had to lay off our two employees that we had at Skyblocks and we got three more months and then we're, this is probably the end of it. And I think when you're a, an entrepreneur and, and you love doing this, so as, as hard as it was financially during those years, my wife was a teacher, so we were kind of living off of her salary. Um, you know, as hard as it was financially, it's, it's like where, I, where we were both supposed to be, what we were supposed to be doing. And so I think you kind of are forced to say, oh, if my option is I have to go back to work, like we got to make something happen. But uh, yeah, I mean, I think what makes startups so hard is that you straddle this line of looking like a fool 
and looking brilliant. So I have this funny story. Um, I was with a, a few friends of mine, like watching a football game about a week before Scout Mob launched. And I'm explaining Scout Mob. It has a weird name. It sounds like a rap group or something. You know, weird name in a space that no one knew Groupon at the time. No one, I could, so I had no context to describe it. It's like a mobile app and we're doing this with this weird name. And I just remember my friends being like unimpressed. Like, all right, whatever, we'll see. You've been talking about stuff for a few years now, we'll see. And then we launched on a Wednesday. So I think I saw them the weekend before. We launched on a Wednesday, Scout Mob. And on Friday, this local TV channel, 11 Alive or whatever, um, sends us a, a cold email and saying, we stumbled across Scout Mob. It's amazing. We want to do a piece on you. And so I think on Friday, they aired the piece. So with it, two days after we launched, they did like a two-minute segment on us. And because the journalists you know, ha had used the product and loved it within that period of time. And I remember getting emails and texts from friends being like, you're a genius. That's brilliant. And so the swing of one week, I was kind of a, an idiot to a genius. And I think that's what startups are. And yeah. so, you know, I, I don't know if you need a chip on your shoulder. I don't, I don't know if that was my main motivator. But, um, but obviously, no one, you know, everyone probably doubts anyone who has an idea because the reality is most of the ideas aren't going to work. And you got to fight through that stuff, and that's that's some of the harder stuff. I think some of the social implications of starting a company don't get talked about enough. Um, yeah, it's hard. And, and here's the thing: every founder that's kind of made it, that's that's overcome that hard period of time, when they tell the stories, it's like ah, it was tough, and they almost minimize how tough it was. It's just hard to tell friends, family, you know, in this world where you're supposed to be like advancing and, and climbing. You know, I had friends that were attorneys and smart people and they're like climbing the ladder and they're making more money and I'm like you know barely paying myself doing like a startup it seems it seems kind of silly and in, in like that's not really a career and you need to you know maybe you need to focus and like actually work um, and so I think that's some of the hardest stuff that I think probably I, I bet there's tons and tons a high percentage of people that never end up starting something because they just can't face down the fact that I'm supposed to be doing this or I mean you know I know people at Switchards that are like doctors or or they're they're you know mid-career they're making good money and I, I'm gonna have to forget about financially how hard it's gonna be I have to just tell people that I'm not gonna do that and I can't do that we want to take a minute to talk to one specific group of young artists and entrepreneurs if you're from Atlanta and are a musician or know a great one we want to hear from you it takes a lot of music to produce an audio-only show, and we would love nothing more than to fill this program with local artists. Of course, you'd get your name on the end of the show as well. If you're interested, drop us a line to info at atlborn.com. That's info at atlborn.com. Luckily, Michael and Dave persisted. They took one last leap of faith on Scout Mob, the second company they started together. And it paid off in a big way. But how? How did they create such a buzz and grow so fast when their previous business nearly folded? So we always say um, we had no marketing people for like three years. We acquired, you know, literally a million plus users without any marketing team. And that's true. Uh, the thing that's probably not true or, or, or slightly misleading is I think Dave and I are particularly good at kind of brand and marketing and product, that combination. We, we're not 
trained marketers and we didn't do traditional stuff, but I think we were really good at putting it all together. And so you, you could argue like the founders and all the early employees, that's all we were focusing on, but it wasn't in the traditional sense. So our marketing strategy was, you know, we, we had a really good product and the brand had a really unique voice. So the first two people that we hired at Scout Mob were a copywriter and a designer. And copywriters are really secret weapons, and we learned that with Scout Mob. I think most people think copy is something they'll do after, and, and they usually probably run out of money or time, and they never do it. For Scout Mob, I mean, literally, this is it's been eight years since we started Scout Mob, eight and a half years, and I still get comments all the time from people that say, your guys' copy was so good. Mm -hmm. And it's because we had a copywriter, this, uh, a woman named Liza, who was just really good. And she, it was a differentiator. It was something that we had that no one else had, which was like every single word that we used, even in places where not many people were going to see it, was like amazing copy. And it was delightful and it was funny uh, and it was self-deprecating. And so, um, and then our design, a guy named Andy, who actually works at, uh, at Switchyards, who's a, you know, a freelance designer now, he was the designer who designed everything for probably six, seven years, and he was amazing. So I think we had two founders and two early employees who, who really were trying to create a delightful experience. And really what we did is our first, um, we did like a launch party that we invited 25 people to, 30 people to. It was a small party, but those 25, 30 people were like the best people you could have in Atlanta. And this was a period of time pre like Instagram influencers and all that. It was just such a good group of people to have at that first thing. And then the product was so good that the day that we launched Scout Mob, I got an email back. So I sent an email to some friends saying, hey, check out this company we launched. And I got an e I was on an email thread on the receiving end saying, hey, check out. Like it was a, it was my email forwarded. When it got to back few, to you. And it came back to me by the end of the first day. So that was a goosebump moment, I'm Yeah, sure. I think we, we knew, like, I think we're on to something. Yeah. Dave and Michael led Scout Mob to become a very successful business that still operates today. The company had reportedly over $5 million in annual revenue at one point. But as he told us, Michael is a creator, and eventually that itch returned. I think there was a few things going on. Um, I think the, the company starts to change a little bit in the sense that we raised money. We now had you know professional investors uh, involved in the company, and they were they were very good to work with. They, did, they weren't demanding, they didn't force us to do anything. Um, but obviously now you're bringing in other entities that now right. you know, co-own the company with you and, and have kind of a say or, or an influence in kind of the company. And then the company is getting bigger. I mean, we, we go from Dave and I working you know, at coffee shops to, uh, and that's how we were doing it for a few years before Scout Mob to, uh, you know, I think we got to 60, 70 people um, and we're in a bunch of different cities. And I'm kind of focused on product. And so, you know, I'm doing a lot of product stuff. And, and I think um, it's rare, very rare for a founder like a, call it a Zuckerberg or a Bezos who's with the company from day one, one person or a couple people to, you know, going public. That's sure. because it's such a different skill set. I started personally, I started to get the itch to want to create again. Um, and maybe, you know, we were kind of right. And, and, and it's funny, I think my wife thought I was crazy because here I am, I've worked so hard to get to that point and finally have this company that that's doing well and everyone thinks it's, you know, like it's Amazon. She thought it was time to kick up the feet and enjoy. Yeah, and, and I w I'm wanting to like create again. And so um, in around uh, probably mid 2013, late 2013, 
Um, I started to kind of get the itch. Uh, I, I actually, it started off with, I, I sent out a tweet about a building downtown called the Flatiron Building, and it was for sale. And I said, we're going to make it a startup hub. And I didn't necessarily think it was going to be a business, but I thought it'd be like a fun project. And I kind of put it out. And I felt like a thousand people had responded to this tweet. You know, you can look back on Twitter and see that like 12 people responded. But that was enough for me to be like, I think I want to go pursue this. And so I kind of was doing it on the side at nights and on the weekends at first uh, while I was still at Scout Mob. And I actually made the decision to leave Scout Mob and focus full time on what became Switchyards right around like March or April of 2014. So about four and a half years, four plus years after we started it. And um, really, it was, um, I just wanted to get back into the beginning stages again. Um, I think some people um, are the type that they have one idea because they have an industry they're excited about, and that's all they'll, they ever want to do their entire life. It's, I would actually argue that person, it's not that they're not entrepreneurial, they're more passionate about a specific domain. Sure. And that's the thing that they dive into. For me, I love starting companies. And I'm not saying I'm a serial entrepreneur, but... And I think I'll probably work the next, you know, 10 years on something related to like switch yards. Um, but I definitely have many different interests um, around things that I want to start. I could see myself starting lots of different companies. And I think for me, I like the brand part of it. And so the brand cuts across a physical product, a building, a tech product, a, you know, a media property. It, it kind of yeah. cuts across anything. I just like creating the brand. And I think that could apply to a lot of different industries. So I always knew that I was going to work on something else. I mean, it's rare that, you know, it would have been yeah. Scout Mob and that's it. And so um, I basically started working on Scout Mob then full time. Um, sorry, switch yards and, and left uh, Scout Mob. And then about a year later, um, I kind of convinced Dave to come join me um, and, and work on as Scout Mob was kind of changing its focus and our CFO kind of took over as the CEO. Um, because he was pretty well suited to, to run a company that was heavily operations yeah. focused and the product was kind of doing its thing. We, we shifted out and, and started to focus on switch yards. And, um, and so anyway, so that's, it's been about since you know, 2014 that we've been working on this. So after four years of building Scout Mob, it was back to the drawing board for Michael and Dave. But this time, they were looking to bottle the success they had with a consumer startup and bring that secret sauce to aspiring entrepreneurs in Atlanta. So the goal at Switchyards was to create a center of gravity for consumer-focused startups. So Atlanta is not not good at consumer startups like Scout Mob was. Uh, Scout, you know, when I say consumer-facing, you know, think Instagram, think Airbnb, think Warby Parker. Those are consumer uh, startups. Atlanta's pretty good at internet security, at fintech, at B two B SaaS, at Salesforce those types of products. And so we don't have this strong culture around consumer startups. We do have a great culture. We've produced great brands over the years, Coke, Home Depot, Chick-fil-A, Waffle House. Um, so a lot of great brands were started in Atlanta that are consumer products. But some of those, you know, Coke's like 130 years old. So we haven't produced one in the last 15, 20 years. And so the idea was to create a culture. We, we kind of internally call it like a B2C mafia. So let's create an environment um, where, where one company starts and then an early employee at that company says, oh, I want to do that again. And, I wanna, and I'm going to take all my lessons from that one. I'm going to apply um, it to my own. So there's this term called the PayPal Mafia. And if you look up PayPal Mafia, you'll see all of the companies that came out of PayPal. So mid-90s, PayPal starts. It's a rocket ship. It's a huge company. Um, and 
you know, literally everyone from a from a co-founder of PayPal, which Elon Musk was a co-founder of PayPal, went on to start Tesla and, you know, uh, SpaceX and all the stuff that he's doing. Um, Peter Thiel was like a co-founder, invested in Facebook and whatever, the first investor in Facebook. And then you had an intern at PayPal, a guy named Jeremy Stoppelman, or a junior, the lowest guy on the totem pole, who ended up starting Yelp, which became a public camp company, CEO and co-founder of Yelp. And so the PayPal mafia started YouTube and a bunch of LinkedIn and a bunch of really great companies. And it was, I think what it was is it was a bunch of people saying like, this is how a consumer brand works in San Francisco in the mid nineties. And we love this and we're going to keep, we're going to keep doing this. And so, you know, obviously you create some wealth. So you get, you have some people that make a couple hundred thousand dollars, maybe a few people that make a couple million dollars and they say, Hey, I'm going to invest in my own startup or I'm going to start investing in B2C startups. So we basically want to create a B2C mafia in Atlanta. And the reason why we want to do it is, is pretty selfish. Like we like B2C startups. We only want to do B2C startups. And a lot of other types of startups in Atlanta were, were being celebrated at different places around town and, and B2C wasn't. And so we felt like we wanted to create kind of a center of gravity for people like us that were starting those types of companies. And so the idea was buy a building, a 90-year-old building in downtown Atlanta and physically create a density of founders. So we have a bunch of people that are working here on lots of different things, on everything from physical products to media companies to apps to you know tech products to services. But everyone's kind of focused on the end consumer. So they're creating brands, you know, design matters. Um, all of the elements of consumer startups are celebrated here because those things matter a lot here more than they would for let's call it an internet security company where the security matters the most not brand not the soul of the company not the voice the 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 copy those things don't matter for an internet security company so that was our belief is to kind of create this center of gravity and as the scout mob guys in atlanta we had kind of the credibility to do that um, and so here we are two two and a half years into this building open uh, opening and we're feeling good about that um, and we're feeling good about some of the stuff happening here, but obviously now we got to start producing some, some great wins. So I think the thing that we, uh, the stat that we like the most is we've had four companies get into Techstars. So four switch arts companies that, you know, started here that worked here, um, have gotten into Techstars, which is probably the best accelerator program in Atlanta. Um, and so, you know, that's good early signs of some, some good stuff happening, but startups are hard. This, this stuff this, this, this ain't happening overnight, and we haven't produced uh, an Uber out of this building yet, um, but I think we have created a great culture for consumer startups, and we've certainly showed that there's another way to do startups in Atlanta, and that's kind of the, the B2C playbook. Do you feel like it, it almost might be a perfect storm with what's happened in Atlanta that we talked about at the beginning of the podcast with the shift? Atlanta has become a way more diverse cultural city than it was I think when you and I were growing up mm -hmm. and it's it's a city that is is very focused on design uh, you know you walk on the belt line for 10 minutes you understand you know that that fashion's important that culture is important different types of culture b2c startups the brand and the culture is is the ticket in a lot of cases you know you talked about the product being important but it feels like switchyards might just be in the right place at the right time. Have you got Have you gotten a sense for that? Yeah, it's interesting. So when we were launching Scout Mob, um, 
I always thought to myself that we had an advantage starting in Atlanta because Atlanta it was a big it's a big city and it was then of course only nine years ago but it's not San Francisco it's not New York so the problem with those cities and I love both of those cities those are two of my favorite cities um, but the problem with those cities is New York it's like eh, we've seen everything right it's like every company launches here every product launches here they just have so much of everything there that it's not exciting oh you know if a food delivery service launches in New York you're the t 20th one to launch when you launch in Atlanta you're you're probably the first and San Francisco obviously has everything around startups uh, and so they're seeing so many companies launch there Atlanta felt like a big city where you could launch a product and it was like an average, if it worked in Atlanta, it'd work in Denver, it'd work in you know, Kansas City, it'd work in maybe a smaller town up to a bigger town, uh, a bigger city. And so I think Atlanta is the perfect city to like launch a company because you just have a good slice of like, you know, people. You don't have, not everyone has the latest MacBook with the latest software on it. You know, how hard is it to launch a product in San Francisco where you just assume everyone has like the latest, greatest tech. And that's the reality is that's not the case. When we were launching Scout Mob, we actually built a product, you know, where you could text like a, a code to yourself. And it was meant for people with like flip phones. You know, my mom could use that product. You didn't need like the latest iPhone with like the latest software on it and all that kind of stuff. So um, yeah, I think Atlanta is having a moment. Um, I think Atlanta is a perfect city to launch a product in. When you think from a design perspective, Atlanta is the capital of the Southeast. There's no question about that. And so we pull a lot of young people that went to college around here that grew up in smaller towns around here. Um, and so it's just a, a pool of younger people. And then obviously you got, you know, Georgia Tech's a great engineering school. You have a lot of art schools in Atlanta. So SCAD, you know, Savannah College of Art and Design. You have like a few portfolio schools in Atlanta. So I think it's this great mixture of young people engineering, which Georgia Tech's one of the best engineering schools in the country, and it's a mile from here. Um, and then you have obviously a lot of kind of design talent and a lot of culture, a lot of music stuff, a lot of film stuff's happening here now. So that's, the gr that's, that's a lot of the great ingredients. And so what I was saying to myself five years ago is why can't Atlanta produce B2C startups? We don't have this culture here now, but why can't we do that? And so I very much think of Switch Yards as like a, you know, a, a nine inning game and we're in like the third inning of that game. Um, but, but someone had to start that game and we felt like we were like good guys to do that. So there it is our first episode of Atlanta Born and Brand. If you're starting or even thinking about starting a B2C startup, or you just love Atlanta, check out www.switchyards.com or follow them on social media. A special thanks goes out to our team here at Connects Media, Chris Hilliard, Joshua Pruitt, and our families who make it all possible. Stay tuned to Atlanta Born and Brand for more stories from the city's top startups and small businessmen and women. I'm Jonathan Hilliard, Thanks for listening, and I'll see you all soon.